0: The following content may contain graphic depictions of actual crimes that took place. Listener discretion advised. Hello, and welcome to the HOA show. I'm your host, Ryan Gazelle, and today we have a very special episode for you. It's part of a new series we're doing called Love Thy Neighbor Condos, Crimes, and Ramifications. In these episodes, we'll take a look at a true crime that has occurred within a common interest development. We'll look at what happened and why it happened, and hopefully, you can help prevent something like this from happening in your community. So, without further ado, we give you episode one, the dog, the diaper, and the gun. Picture this, if you will. You live on the first floor of a condominium complex. It's a little before 8 in the morning when you step outside onto your balcony, only to find a very full, very soiled baby diaper. I don't know about you, but like the baby that wore that diaper, I'd lose my you-know-what. Now consider this. You know where that diaper came from, you know who put it there, and you know that it was no accident because this is not the first time this has happened. You've complained to anyone who will listen, you've written numerous letters to the board, to the management company, but it all seems to fall on deaf ears. How bad would it have to get before you finally took matters into your own hands? What would you do about it? What I've just described actually happened to a resident of Sable Ridge Condominiums located in Dallas, Texas. It was the morning of February 4th, 2013. The man had happened to Chung Kim, who at the time was 75 years old. And I'll tell you what he did. He confronted his upstairs neighbors, the perpetrators of the poopy diaper. Within minutes, both upstairs residents were dead. Kim was tried and convicted of capital murder and is currently serving life without parole. Now, some of you might be thinking what we thought when we first heard about this story. How did it come to this? Don't get me wrong, throwing used diapers into your neighbor's yard is gross. It's reprehensible behavior, and it's certainly not how neighbors are supposed to treat each other. But murder? The punishment hardly fits the crime. So again, how did it come to this? Built in 1984, the Sable Ridge Condominiums consists of three-story buildings totaling 173 units. It has a pool, a gym, A tennis court, and the units range from 600 to about 850 square feet. We couldn't find much about Chung Kim's life prior to the events that took place on February 4th, but the little we did find paints the picture of a short-tempered man. After being fired from a job in 2001, he was reported to have pulled a gun. We couldn't corroborate this, but keep it in mind. He's Korean and had been living at Sable Ridge for over a decade with his wife Quang when he shot and killed two people. Their names were Michelle Jackson and Jamie Stafford. Both were African-American and in their early 30s. They didn't own the condo, they were renters, and in December of 2012, just two months before their deaths, Michelle had given birth to her fifth child. On the morning Kim confronted them, four of Michelle's five kids were off to school already, but the infant, who'd just filled up a fresh diaper, was asleep in the unit at the time. But let's get back to before this. Let's go back several months when Michelle and Jamie started washing dog poop off their balcony, flushing it down onto Kim's balcony and windows. From all of the available information, this is what started the feud. But this is according to Chung Kim. Unfortunately, we can't hear Michelle or Jamie's side of the story, so we don't know if Kim said or did something to provoke this. But the dog poop debacle had been well-documented and well-known within the community. Apparently, Michelle and Jamie didn't walk their dog because it would just do its business on their balcony. Then, instead of picking it up, they'd just hose it down, causing the runoff to go all over Kim's balcony below. And this happened repeatedly for months. Again, ew. Now, Kim had complained not only to the HOA manager on numerous occasions, but also to the Dallas Police Department and the City of Dallas Health and Human Services. The HOA's maintenance supervisor, a man named Aubrey Morris, had cleaned Kim's balcony on more than one occasion using a power washer. He knew how bad it was. Carlotta Robinson, the board president, acknowledged that the amount and frequency of the feces made it a legitimate health issue. In the months leading up to the double murder, Ms. Robinson had sent several emails to the management company and the board of directors urging them not to ignore Kim's complaints. One of her emails described him as, quote, about to reach his breaking point. Eventually, it seems something was done about the situation. We only found one source on this, but it's reported that the dog was removed from the unit by animal services, which would explain why the dog wasn't in the unit on the day of the killings. It seems likely that to Chung Kim, this was a long fought victory, which should have ended the feud. But then, Michelle gave birth to her fifth child, her first with Jamie, and one month later, poopy diapers started showing up on Chung Kim's balcony. Now, one could make the argument that Jamie and Michelle weren't aware of the damage and stress they caused with the dog waste, but the diapers? That seems fairly intentional. They were described as being in a pile, as if they'd saved them up before depositing them on the balcony below. This was January 31st, 2013, just four days before the murders. Kim complained again to the HOA, but given what happened four days later, it didn't seem like he was ready to put up with another six months of diaper deposits while waiting for them to take action. Cut to the morning of February 4th. We had to piece together some of the order of events, and it's still a little unclear how it started specifically, but here goes. About two hours before the confrontation, Michelle Jackson made a 911 call. Apparently, she had spotted Kim cutting the lines to her TV cable. In the call, she admits it wasn't the first time it had happened, but it was the first time she'd seen him do it. This presumably happened early in the morning because a few hours later, Chung Kim and Michelle Jackson were both seen arguing with each other on their balconies just before 8 a.m. What was the fight about? Cut cable lines, a mountain of diapers? We'll never know. What's clear is this was a powder keg that had just been lit. According to several eyewitnesses in the parking lot that morning, as well as video footage from security cameras on the premises, Chung Kim and Michelle Jackson could be heard arguing when suddenly shots were fired. At this point, all three witnesses ducked for cover. Aubrey Morris, the maintenance supervisor who was picking up trash at the time, looked up to see Chung Kim run upstairs to Michelle and Jamie's unit, where more shots were fired. The autopsy on Michelle concluded that a 45 caliber bullet entered the left side of her neck and exited the right side fracturing the first two vertebrae and almost severing her spinal cord. One of the witnesses claimed Kim had shot Michelle from the balcony, but due to the angle and other factors, the medical examiner concluded that the bullet that killed her must have been shot no more than four feet from her and that it would have come from someone on the same level as her, meaning those first shots that came from the balcony below must have missed. Kim went upstairs and, somehow, the door was opened and that's when Michelle was struck. The M.E. also said she would have lost consciousness within seconds and likely died within minutes. Kim then stepped over Michelle's body and entered her unit where more shots were fired at Jamie Stafford, who fled to his balcony and either jumped off or fell off down onto the ground. He didn't make it very far. Now, this is another bizarre detail that kept coming up. Chung Kim went back down the stairs, got into his car, drove a few feet, then got out, walked over to Jamie Stafford, and put a bullet in his head. It's almost as if Kim started to flee, then saw Jamie was still alive, then stopped and got out to finish the job, so to speak. Stafford was shot seven times in all. Kim got back into his car and fled the scene. Witnesses called 911, and a description of Kim's car, a black Lexus SUV, and license plate number were sent out over the wire. Detective Phil Gordon was on duty that morning. He'd heard the APB for Kim's Lexus and had remembered the last four digits of the license plate, which were 2000. Those numbers had stuck in his mind. He observed the SUV pull into a shopping center and park in front of a dry cleaner's. While Detective Gordon waited for a description of the suspect to confirm he had the right guy, Kim got back into his car and drove off. Detective Gordon followed him. He didn't go far, just around the corner from the shopping center. By that time, backup had arrived. Kim was found near a Comerica bank by a patrol officer. They took him into custody without incident. When police searched Kim's car, they found a gun holster in the trunk as well as a 45 caliber handgun under the driver's seat. Three traces of DNA were found on the holster, that of the two victims, Michelle Jackson and Jamie Stafford, and that of Chung Kim, which could be explained if Kim was wearing the holster during the murders. Given the evidence, eyewitness testimony, and video footage, it seemed they had Kim dead to rights. Shortly after his arrest, Kim told a different version of events. He said he shot Jamie Stafford in self-defense and that the gun belonged to Stafford. If 31-year-old Jamie pulled the gun, how did 75-year-old Kim shoot him? Kim said he took it away using martial arts. He even demonstrated the move he used when a news crew did an interview with Kim in jail. Possible? Sure. But when you consider the other evidence, not likely. Also, if Kim killed Jamie in self-defense, what does he say about Michelle Jackson? Not a whole lot. Kim claims he blacked out after shooting Jamie and has no memory of what happened to Michelle. But this just doesn't line up with the details we know to be true from security cameras and eyewitnesses. The order of the deaths, for one. In Kim's version, he killed Jamie first, who was found in the parking lot and by all accounts was killed after Michelle. Are we then to believe that Kim confronted Jamie in his condo unit, took his gun away, chased him out into the parking lot, killed him, then went back to kill Michelle during his supposed blackout, all while Michelle stayed in her unit not dialing 911? Kim's version of events would also require Jamie and Michelle to keep a gun in a condo with five children that's less than 1,000 square feet large. Possible, sure, but again, not likely especially when you consider a holster was found along with the gun. If Kim wrestled the gun away, as he described, why take the holster? I don't know about you, but for me, Chung Kim's version of events has too many holes to believe. After receiving a life sentence, Kim's attorney filed an appeal. In it, they state that the court had provided insufficient evidence to prove that Chung Kim had intent to kill Michelle Jackson. If he had, they argued, He, quote, certainly would have shot her more than once. They also argued that because Kim stepped over Michelle's body to pursue Jamie, that clearly shows he didn't intend to kill her. A couple things on this. First, notice how during trial Kim's version of events had already been abandoned. They're back to him killing Michelle first, which is how it happened. Second, they don't deny Kim intended to kill Jamie, so I wonder what they hope to accomplish by focusing on intent with Michelle. Perhaps he would get a lesser sentence. At Kim's age, it hardly seems to matter. In the memorandum opinion, Justice Myers wrote that, since Kim had shot up at her from his balcony, then went upstairs and shot her at close range through the neck, the jury could conclude he intended to kill her as well. We tend to agree, Kim's appeal was denied. Look, no one is entirely blameless here. Michelle and Jamie showed zero respect for Chung Kim by washing dog poop onto his balcony for months on end, slowly pushing him over the edge to commit an atrocious crime, leaving five children motherless, including a newborn. But there's one more person who just might share a slice of the blame here. Those of us who live in common interest developments know there is a proper recourse for this type of behavior. You have a board of directors, You have the management company. Standard protocol is you file a complaint with them and they do what they can. They issue written warnings, and when that fails, they assess fines or more. In this case, the dog was removed by animal control. That should have been the end of it, but it didn't stop the behavior. Kim clearly felt he had no other means of recourse, which is what makes this next piece of information so tragic. All those letters Kim had written and all those complaints he filed, they worked. In an email written by Carlotta Robinson, the board president, she states she had a conversation with the owner of Michelle and Jamie's unit. The owner was going to start the process of evicting Michelle and Jamie on February 1st, just three days before they were killed. The pile of used diapers that showed up the day before, they weren't just the last straw for Chung Kim They were the last straw for Sable Ridge. But, and here's the thing, as far as we know, Carlotta never informed Chung Kim about the eviction. It's unclear whether the unit owner informed Michelle and Jamie, so it's all speculation whether or not she knew she was being evicted when the confrontation happened between her and Kim on their balconies. Knowing that may have made her more upset with Kim than usual. or. Like Chung Kim, maybe she didn't know at all. We can't help but wonder if Kim had known, if Carlotta had made him aware that there was light at the end of the tunnel, could this whole thing have been averted? Apparently, we're not the only ones who think so. Another person who wishes Carlotta had acted faster is a woman named Yvonne. Michelle Jackson was her daughter. Just two months after Kim's life sentence was passed, Yvonne brought suits against Carlotta Robinson and the Sable Ridge Association as well as Quang Kim, Chung Kim's wife. Yvonne felt Carlotta knew of the danger Kim posed, but did nothing about it. This is supported by the email I mentioned before, where Carlotta wrote that Kim was about to reach his breaking point. Now, we know that Carlotta did act eventually. She had just begun coordinating with the unit owner to start the eviction process. But did she act fast enough? And even if she didn't, does that make her liable? According to Yvonne's 22-page complaint, Carlotta met with Michelle Jackson immediately prior to the murder and laughed at Jackson when she tried to insist that Chung Kim was a danger and had threatened her life. Yvonne also claims that On at least two other occasions, Kim had threatened to shoot other tenants, and that several years before the murders, Kim was taken into protective custody after walking into the Sable Ridge main office armed with a gun and threatening to kill everyone. Yvonne also blamed Kim's wife, Hwang, for not doing anything to stop her husband, as well as the association itself for not having security guards on the premises. Yvonne's lawsuit sought over $1 million for Michelle's five children. As of that time, Yvonne was raising the youngest child, while the other four had gone to live with their father. We tried to find any information as to the outcome of this lawsuit, but nothing turned up. It could still be ongoing. For now, the fate of Michelle Jackson's children goes unanswered. Ultimately, people are responsible for their own actions. Looking back on it, it's easy to spread the blame around and say, if only Carlotta had told Kim about the eviction, or if only police had taken Kim's gun, if only, if only, if only. But the truth is, we can never know for sure what might have happened. In the end, we can't be held responsible for other people's decisions, but we do have to answer for our own. In a way, it doesn't matter what Michelle and Jamie did to Chung Kim. He may have felt that he had no other choice but to kill them, but of course, he did have a choice. The blame for the murders rests solely on him, regardless of the choices made by the victims who lived above him, the wife who stood by, or the board president who dragged her feet. They each respectively suffered the consequences of their own actions, and there are certainly lessons to be learned there, but Kim made the decision to kill. Some have speculated race played a part, Kim being South Korean, and Michelle and Jamie being African-American. Others attribute it to a kind of socioeconomic mentality. The scary part for many is that it sounds like the story of an ordinary man who simply snapped, committing murder in a blind rage. It's scary because it reminds us that this could happen to any of us and that bullied old man next door might just turn on us without notice. But people don't just snap. Remember, Kim had a history of threatening people. That story about him pulling a gun on his boss after being fired? It was only mentioned in one article, and we couldn't corroborate it, but we tend to believe it. Then there's the claim he threatened the Sable Ridge office staff, which to us was the craziest revelation of the entire story and we waited to mention it until the end because we couldn't find it ourselves until the end of our research. It never came up in any of the stories immediately following Kim's arrest or in the judge's opinion denying his appeal. Yet it's absolutely integral because it tells you who Chung Kim was. Living in a common interest development can be very difficult. Living so close to our neighbors, having to coexist in harmony can be a very challenging thing. It's one thing, though, to think violent thoughts. Most of us do that from time to time. It's another thing entirely to act them out. People don't just snap. The signs are there, the patterns are there. You just have to watch for them and take them seriously when they appear. When we first heard about this story, we asked ourselves the same question that we asked you in the beginning. How did it come to this? But now, knowing Chung Kim's pattern, all we can ask is, how could it not?